Let's see what the stew has in store for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by awesome Patreon backers like the Boisterous Block Party Podcast Network, the stupendous Sam G, and the excellent Erica Bon Barbaris. Today we have myself, Ange, along with Chris and Jared, and we are going to talk about planting plot seeds in your campaigns and one-shots. I might have also chosen these two gnomes to find out what happened to my stew pot. Well, you see, what happened was we 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 had a natural disaster thingy, right, Jared? There was a natural disaster. Yeah, yes. There was like a mini earthquake that was only localized to the gnome tree. And also a rare, you know, lake effect uh, hurricane. Yeah, that too. You know, I would cast doubt on the idea of your lake effect hurricane, but I live in Rochester, New York, <laughs> where lake effect is a thing. And it was so weird. I'm pretty sure I saw John Arcadian riding the new, the gnome stew pot on the hurricane out across the lake. <laughs> Before we dive into our main topic, let's ask our get to know a gnome question. What was one time a player's character did something that made you change a story arc or shift a whole campaign? Chris, I'm going to start with you. Uh, cool. So uh, years and years ago, before I knew actually how to like game master, like a real like grown up game master, uh, Bob was in my Airy Peaks Dungeon World game and I did it dumb and told him about this story thread his character would be interested in because there was this girl that he was, uh, th that he served as she was like the princess queen who was there and she picked up a cursed crown and left and was going to go cause all kinds of trouble. So I'm like, you can go chase her, I suppose, if you want, but then you'd have to leave the peaks and, uh. You, you could do that, but if you do, you'll probably have to play another character. And he's like, well, I'm going to go, uh, and I'll play another character. And then everybody was like, we'll just go with them. I'm like, but, huh? Why? They're like, because he's our friend. And I'm like, Shit. I was like, poop. So uh, instead of telling him to hold on a second to figure out a way to get everyone just to stay in the airy peaks, which is where the campaign was, uh, I let them wander away from the peaks and had an unintended set of adventures. <laughs> That's one of those those moments where, you know, as, as GMs, we're, as we're, we're growing up as GMs, we're often told, your players control the campaign. You're, you do what your players want to do. Sometimes <laughs> that's not the answer. It's not the answer. <laughs> Jared, what about you? Um, okay, so this was probably around the same time Chris was doing that. I was running, uh, <laughs> I was running Civil War in Marvel Heroic, and... Everything in that is kind of assuming that people are either pro-registration or anti-registration, and maybe a person switches sides, but, you know, that's what it's all geared towards. And my friend was playing Moon Knight and decided that he was going to start a third faction that was going to use the upheaval between the other two groups as a means to overthrow the status quo. <laughs> so as part of this, he lured the Avengers to an apartment building that he owned and was booby-trapped specifically for all of the different Avengers. <laughs> so he basically dropped Hulk into the basement and then, like, dropped concrete on top of him, which didn't stop him, but it slowed him down. <laughs> and eventually he, he recruited X-23 so that she could help him recruit mutants to uh, help him with this overthrowing the, uh, the status quo among all the other heroes. <laughs> you threw me off because you said the Hulk, and I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> what's the Hulk doing in the middle of Civil War? I'm like, it's a role-playing game, so whatever, yes, I don't care. Yeah, well, we, we continued on from the breakout event that we played, and in our version of the breakout, instead of using um, Sentry, who I just have an allergic reaction to, <laughs> we had the Hulk was actually in the uh, 
the raft at that time. Dude, man, there's some really good Robert Reynolds stories out there, man. Sure. Like the one where he's not when they like when everybody wiped his wiped their minds of who Robert Reynolds was <laughs> and Reed had it was Reed Richards who did it because they're like really good friends, and then you find out that it was supposed to be on purpose and you eventually get to the century tower. It's like, yeah, we did this because you're the void and it's bad. And like, you know, we have almost gotten to the point to where in the real world, everyone has wiped their memory of century. That's, that's fair. That's true. You're not wrong. What about you? And uh, I can't think of anything as specific as what you two guys have, but I do recall a one shot I was running where one of the, the character things in a background was that this character had had something stolen from him. Specifically, he was a... Uh, he, he basically was essentially a time cop in a Doctor Who setting, and uh, he had had his Vortex manipulator stolen from him as, like, just a background thing in his character sheet. Uh, or her character sheet. And the setup of this plot is that little time rifts are forming around San Francisco. And I had this vague notion of it was something being caused by the weeping angels and they were supposed to follow the rifts around San Francisco until they got enough clues to figure out what was going on. When the player of this character turned to me and was like, wait a second, could these rifts be formed by someone using a (laughs) vortex manipulator incorrectly? At which point I said yes, because that was a really good idea. And the adventure suddenly switched from being just dealing with rifts forming in modern day San Francisco to having to go back to San Francisco before the great earthquake and rescue this person because they were ca- they were trying to rob banks before the great earthquake in San Francisco and get money that no one would ever realize was gone because all the banks were destroyed by the earthquake. And it was just completely <laughs> changed the whole plot. That's a, that's really smart, actually. That's a great idea. <laughs> also, the the vortex mutilator—that's a real Hoovian right there. Yeah. Like it was a vortex mutilator. I'm like, oh yeah, look at that. <laughs> I'm like, I would have bought that as if I was like watching that episode of Doctor Who. I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense. <laughs> yeah. So moving on uh, into our main topic of discussion, plot seeds are the hints that you put in your game about what is to come, whether it is a thing happening in the background of your campaign that the characters are going to have to deal with eventually, or the clues about what is really going on in a one-shot the players are engaged with right now. Um, So we figured we'd get together and talk about what works, what doesn't, and some general ideas on what might be useful to our listeners. Hey, hey, Ange, do you mind if me and Jerry go grab the gnome platter real quick so that we can have some snacks while we're talking? (laughs) (sighs) I suppose. Cool, thanks. Jared, Jared, what do we do about this pot? It's okay. I, I think I found it. We're good. I, yeah? yeah. No, no, we're good. Don't worry about it. Should I cancel the one that I ordered from Amazon then? Yeah, probably. Are you sure? Because it comes with dead gnomes inside of it. Mm, yeah, cancel that one. Okay, I'll, I'll cancel that one. Here you go, Ange. Here's the gnome platter. Look, we, we cut them all up nice and nice and quality for you. There's some fingers and some legs. Ew. They're nice and fried. <laughs> <sighs> Why can't we just have a normal charcuterie tray? Because we normally have a stew pot full of gnomes yeah but i don't recognize the bits once they're in the stew pot that's that's fair would you prefer i like pull the eyes out then for you let's move on to the main topic here (laughs) so let's talk about the difference between uh plot seeds in a campaign versus plot seeds in a one shot jared what are your thoughts on this one 
seeds imply that you plant a thing and you let it grow. And the thing is, you have a limited amount of time to let something grow in a one shot. Which means you have to be a lot more obvious if you want something to pay off later. But you also don't want to hold someone's hand and, you know, say, here's an important thing. It's going to be important later, but act like it's not important now. <laughs> <laughs> that is the subtle setup in, in Knockdown, right? That is the, uh, we're going to put the gun on the shelf in Act 1 so that we can fire it in Act 3 move yeah. for a one shot. I had a Monster of the Week one shot that I did for a convention where the building went into lockdown and right off the bat, I was kind of talking about how they got all these ancient relics, you know, moved into the place and they were supposed to pick up on the idea that these ancient relics were, you know, the thing that were causing the problems and why the building went into lockdown and all of that. Despite all of that, instead of going after the relics, one of the players still immediately murdered the CEO as soon as they got to the penthouse. <laughs> Which is why sometimes sometimes you have to be a little obvious about the seeds that you're going to use in a one-shot. <laughs> well then. In, in a one-shot, I tend to like seeds that are just going to make things that happen in the future have more context. To give spoilers for one of my Tales from the Loop scenario, basically there's there's a teacher-like character who is acting weird. And when the characters are all in the lunchroom, I describe him sauntering by a garbage can, looking in it, laughing, and then walking away. And so, like, sometimes the players are like, well, I'm going to go look and see what was in the, the garbage can. I'm like, it's just garbage. It's just, you know, eighth grade lunch garbage. Uh, but later, they learn that that character is from an alternate dimension and is the janitor in that dimension. And so, like, all of a sudden, like, they'll realize, oh, that's why he looked in the garbage can and laughed. It's like these little things that just give things more context later. Now, in a campaign, you got to treat things a little differently because these might be future sessions for your game. Uh, how do you handle those, Chris? I love plot season campaigns. Actually, I found the, the one-shot thing interesting because, one, I don't run a lot of one-shots. And when I do, I never really think of using things like plot seeds. I just... If there are things that I'm throwing out there as setups and knockdowns, like it's like you're setting it up so that you can then pay it off later. I never think of using a seed in a plot seed like that in a one shot. Like I always just try to like recontextualize everything as I'm playing in a one shot. Like did something I say earlier or something someone else in the player said earlier make sense later that I can utilize. But in a campaign, I'll throw out whatever. I can do all sorts of stuff. If I am inspired in the moment, I will just drop a thing. Um, I will just be like, there's some weird writing on the wall that you can't read because you don't know what the language is. And later, like three sessions, like a, a session there, I'm like, yeah, you see that same language that you saw in the other place. And then I'm like, yeah, you want to start learning it? Sure. Uh, start spending downtime or whatever the, the other resources in the game or do something narratively to go start learning that language. And then when they figure out the language, they can go back and read the thing, which then of course I have now finally decided what that is. Or maybe I always knew all along and that was always just an option. Um, or I'll tie it into the, whatever the greater plot is. That is, that is generally how I just, my plot seeds are seeds. Like I will plant a bunch of stuff and see what grows. That is, that is how I view the concept of the plot seed in a campaign. Now, one thing I'll say is, you know, don't, this is my advice to all GMs out there. Don't get upset if your players don't pick up on them, you know, because sometimes they can be too subtle. Sometimes you're being too clever and sometimes they're just interested in more things or other things. Jared. Have you ever had a situation where you've you've put something in a game and the players just completely ignore it? Oh, yeah, but 
I think the thing is, and maybe it's because, you know, where I'm at now when I run things, I don't expect a single plot seed to pique someone's interest enough to do something. I'm figuring that the first time I mention it, it's going to be something that somebody goes, huh, weird. Or, you know, later on, they'll think, oh, wait, that happened here, and now I remember that thing that happened at this this previous point in time. Like in our game that we're in, um, when you got ambushed by the quicklings, I didn't expect all of you to pick up on the idea that why are these fey creatures trying to assassinate us? But it was a long-term payoff to nod towards the fact that there's this island with hags on it and that they are somehow involved in everything that's going on in the, on the mainland. Yeah, for all I knew during that scene, oh, this is just the type of... this. Jared wanted to use quicklings, so that's what this <laughs> encounter is. I love that stuff when you actually like deliberately use monsters that mean something <laughs> or deliberately use elements that are all like themat- thematically tied into a thing and like, oh, this all makes sense now when you get there. Can I, can yeah. I ask a question of you two real quick? Yeah. When we talk about plot seeds versus plot points, what are we talking about here? If you were to define plot point compared to plot seed, because I think they're two very different things. To me, a seed is something that I'm not necessarily counting on. A plot point is something that is part mm-hmm. of my game. Without it, it kind of all falls apart. Like it's part of the structure, the underlying structure of, of what's going on. I think that's probably a good definition of it. I think there, they, there's crossover between the two. I think there can be crossover between a plot seed and a plot point. Sometimes your plot seed becomes a plot point. But to me, the plot seeds are, like you say, they're the things that are pointing towards more things down the line. Whereas a plot point is something that is maybe not already established, but is something that you already have in your head as an important facet of what you're putting in front of the players. Yeah, I have, I've definitely had, and I agree with you, I actually think, plot, that's actually, you know, a good point, because, like, my example of talking about the one-shot, that's something that they were meant to find. It's not just a seed where they could take it or leave it, that was actually the, the resolution of the mystery. And it was, what was funny was the other players actually picked up on it, but that player didn't, and he had an act. So... <laughs> And poor CEO never saw it coming, or it did. <laughs> but, um, like, I have done this before. Actually, this was a little bit of the beginning of the campaign that Angie's in. I knew some of the factions that were involved, and I had a general idea of who was working with who, but I didn't necessarily have the hierarchy, you know, of these people are actually working for this person, or this person is is lying to these people to get them to do this thing for them. I just knew that these are the factions, and depending on what strings they started pulling, all of a sudden it was like, these are the master villains, and these are the people being duped. And it kind of fell into the hierarchy based on basically what uh, plot seeds they uh, started, you know, pecking at. Because, you know, you peck at seeds. So we've talked a ton now about like the concept of, of what a plot seed is and whatnot. Let's can we uh, maybe move towards talking about some of the tools, like what these things actually are and how they. I do want to cover games? one thing first. Sure. Um, I also want to talk about uh, remind letting GMs know, don't get too upset if your players decide to investigate your plot seed right now. Yeah. <laughs> because sometimes it comes across as way too urgent to just you know ignore and be like a thing you investigate later. And sometimes it may seem more exciting than what they were going to do. <laughs> that thing sprouted real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had this happen in my my Jungles of Zendrick campaign, or the Depths of Zendrick campaign, because 
I planted a seed that the uh, the, the 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 priest of the uh, the temple was missing and <laughs> was not prepared for my players to decide to investigate that immediately. That was silly. <laughs> you, you know what? I'll, I'll, it was uh, very silly. I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll just plug another show right now. If you want to listen to last week's misdirected Mark uh, podcast, <laughs> we talk about a thing called the heavy hand of narration, which will help you prune some of these plot seeds if you are not ready to deal with them just yet. <laughs> me and Phil and Jerry talk about all the techniques you can uh, you can utilize to be like, I'm not ready for that. Let me uh, let me divert you in a way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it ended up all working out, and my players were only peripherally aware that I was making everything up on the fly <laughs> as they did that investigation. Just be prepared that sometimes you'll put these plot seeds into your game, and that's what your players are going to fixate on. Now let's move into some of the tools. Yeah, so so the tools are there, are, there are people, there are places, there are things, and there are events. Those are all the things that you can use to seed future anything and everything. So like, for instance, a person as a plot seed, they function in one way in the current adventure scenario, but they have a larger role to play in the world. Have either of you ever used something like a person like that in your, your games? Like for example, like you rescue uh, someone from a dungeon only to find out later that they, they know something or even they may even say something to you. That's kind of cryptic. That doesn't matter till later, but you know where they are. So you can go back and talk to them again if you want to. So it's somebody that you rescued, which is like a plot, a plot point in uh, in the game that you were playing the current game that you were playing but they are important much later anybody else have any examples of something like that i have an accidental one sure <laughs> years ago my very first campaign i was ever running was a mutants and masterminds super campaign and the players had just defeated a pirate basically a guy who was pretending to be a pirate with a flying pirate ship who happened to have a psychic monkey as his sidekick it's monkeys. it was super superheroes. It's it it all makes sense if you're in the moment. Anyway, the monkey had a little black book with a bunch of names and phone numbers written in it. So my players decided to start calling the names and numbers in that book. And I ended up making up one of the monkey's ex-girlfriends on the fly. Uh and Basically, the players took. Yeah, I know, I know. It, what do you? Were, I'm not. I'm, I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's the kind of stuff that happens in role playing games. And basically, they really took a liking to her, so she ended up becoming a major source of information for the players on anything happening in high society. Like if they needed to know about some event that fancy people might be at, they would call her because she would know. And she was friendly with them because reasons. And it's just, it's, it's sometimes you, you know, sometimes you can have a character that you don't plan to mean a lot become, you know, end up meaning a lot. And sometimes, you know, have you, Jared, have you ever done it where it, it was on purpose? So I had a person used as a, as a plot seed at one point in time, my players in a DC adventures game were dealing with paper time shenanigans, which. <laughs> If you know of DC Comics, that's when alternate timeline versions of people spontaneously show up without there actually being a timeline for them to come from, which usually means eventually they're going to go away because they're only there for a limited period of time. Uh, an alternate version of Dr. Fate showed up, and underneath the helmet was one of my players' mother. The problem is, is once she took off the helmet, she also was recognizable to the other player, and 
those two players' characters did not get along at all. And it looked like, for all intents and purposes, that they had the same mother. Now, this, you know, once that character went away, they couldn't go back to talk to her specifically, but it was a seed for Necromancer, the uh, younger of the two, to go and talk to his mother to find out what was going on. And when they did that, they actually found out that she had a twin sister who was the one that had a dalliance with Hades, <laughs> which is where Mirvadon came from. That is that is appropriately comic book DC garbage right there, right? Like, I mean, I mean, not, not garbage in the bad way, but like that's stuff that happens all the time in DC. But comics. I love DC for that reason. Oh, there you go. Those are people. Let's, let's talk about places for a second. So, like, for instance, you have an adventure at a location, but the location is being used in an unintended way and will come back later to be more important. That's another way that I've seen this pop up. Um, for instance, like I've had I had a, in a game of public access, uh, one of the characters was fishing at Deep Lake. Deep Lake is the lake that the town is named for. And they came across a girl who'd been missing for a week who was part of one of the mysteries they're investigating. They took her to a construction site that they're refurbishing um, for the camp that's going to be there that's been closed down for 20 years because the there's a camper that died there. So they shut the camp down. Uh, they met the owner who's shady uh, AF and uh, he's one of the characters in that mystery that hasn't been introduced yet. Um, and then I plan on maybe using this mystery later. So I've seeded the mystery and the location and the rumor about the mystery so I'm like, yeah, some girl died here 20 years ago and they shut the camp down. And that is, there's something in the lake. It's called the Deep Lake Lurker. So that's, that's the way that I have seeded a potential mystery in the future using a location. What about you? What about you two? Either of you have a, any, any quality examples of that? I'm trying to think if this qualifies. I have, uh, in, in one of my Tales from the Loop games, early in the session, they run into Lenny the Town Stoner, who is a regular NPC in my Tales from the Loop games. And Lenny starts talking about seeing things. And most of the players are just going to assume, oh, Lenny's just talking about an acid trip he was on. But as the players get into things, they end up discovering that, no, Lenny just happened to be near the location where they need to go to find a missing person where a device was triggered and what Lenny was talking about was what the device did. So that it's that location, you know, kind of a hidden area off the steam tunnels that run beneath the schools. Again, I'm not sure if that actually qualifies because it might be a little more about Lenny than it is about the location. I mean, if they have to come back there and like use that spot as a way to like then find those steam tunnels, it totally is like, yeah. you're like, well, we're here and that's where it happens. So they have to come back here later, potentially. That's a seed to me. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. What do you think, Jared? All right, so when we're talking about places, one of the things that I used in a mass campaign, because I like running supers campaigns, we established early on in the setting that we were using that there was going to be this flying prison that was kind of like Superman Island or like a helicarrier where it is a, uh, a hovering prison where they keep really bad supervillains. And then after we had established this, a little while later, when one of the players wanted to talk to his father, who was a supervillain, they had a scene at that particular floating prison. And of course, that is also setting up the idea that eventually there's going to be a big bada boom where all of the supervillains escape from the super prison because the whole reason to have a super prison filled with supervillains in a superhero setting is for it to break open and spill a bunch of supervillains out all over the setting. It's funny. It's true, though. It's totally funny. And it's totally true. Uh, okay, let's talk about items now. So I like, I love items. I think items are a great way to, uh, to seed a plot of some sort because you can give somebody a fun little like gizmo or gadget or item or whatever 
and they can have multiple functions or something else about it. Uh, that's that's what I love about it. So, like for instance, like you pick up a piece of the rod of seven parts in your first dungeon. Well, now you're a part of the war between law and chaos, whether you want to be or not, because someone's going to come looking for that eventually. <laughs> you don't really have a choice at that point. Like, why do these monsters that are like all chaotic and whatnot come come bother us? And why do I keep seeing Modrons every once in a while? Like, they come and ask us for the for for my uh my my little rod that I have. I mean, I've had other items, but that was just like the easy one that everybody remembers or knows that it's probably listening to this show. If not, go read up on the Rod of Seven Parts. Jared, you got one? Yeah, I have an item that was a plot seed, but this one is a little bit different because I actually had no plan for this item. And I have done this several times when I'm running D&D where I will come up with an artifact and that artifact does an absolute thing. I will tell people this will do this one specific thing and there is no chance for it to fail because it's an artifact and then it goes away. So I had my players find an artifact that I called the Tooth of Jurgle, who was one of the death gods in the Forgotten Realms, and I told them, if you stab someone with this dagger, they will die, and they will go to the afterlife, and they are gone. For a long time, they were trying to figure out, like, what is the purpose of this? There was no purpose that I had in mind, but it felt like it had a purpose, because this is a really important thing. Like, we're going to run across something someday that we want to kill, and we're, we're going to have to use this. And what was even better about that is I had a player that eventually, after holding on to this thing for months and months and discussing, you know, what they were going to need to use it for and what could be so bad that we're going to need this artifact that can kill anything automatically, they were talking to a diplomat from the um, the Enclave of, Enclave of Shade, and our druid just didn't trust the guy and stabbed him with it in the middle of a conversation. <laughs> well then. <laughs> not a combat, not anything like that. It was just, I don't trust this guy. Stabs him. Dagger disappears, guy goes to the afterlife, never comes back again. <laughs> well then. So when I was running a Monster of the Week campaign, most of the time when I would run Monster of the Week, it would be a one shot. But one time with my regular group, I did run a short campaign. I think it ended up being about six sessions. One of the characters was a wronged who had a... As she set up the character, the character had an axe that was sucked souls into it. So everyone she killed with the axe, their soul would be sucked into the axe and would store all of them. Well, one of those souls happened to be her dead wife that she had killed because she had been possessed by something or another. And it was just, this was just a background thing she made for her character. Well, I ended up making that the key to defeating the Prince of Hell that was trying to come through as the climax of this whole campaign. Mind you, the campaign was set in Vegas, so the Prince of Hell was being summoned in Caesar's Palace. Um, but and it ended up being that she needed to defeat him with the Axe uh, of Souls, which she did by breaking it open, and all of the souls in contained within rushed out and shoved him back through the portal he was coming through. I was fully expecting her to have to sacrifice herself to do this, but then she came up with the breaking it instead, and that's what that's what ended up defeating the big bad of the whole campaign. D does that mean her wife got sucked into hell? Her her dead wife? Her dead wife helped push a prince of hell back into hell to save her wife. That is some full on supernatural depressing stuff there. Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's good. You, you that that's a person and an item at the same time right there. Yeah. That's that's solid, solid plot seating right there. A lot of, a lot of pathos in that one, <laughs> man. 
All right, last tool item that I like to use for plot seeding things. It's the event. So, like, it's an event how, that shifts how things work in the setting. And, you know, maybe the PCs can't do anything about it at the moment, but it'll have a lasting effect on the setting and change how things work. I got two. So, one is a, a generic example. So, like, when you start dropping the idea of the zombie apocalypse in your middle of your campaign, that starts out as, like, news reports and hints that something is off. That will change everything about your game, especially if you've been playing for a while. Like, imagine if you played, like, a story arc, like, 12 sessions, and then, like, session 10, you start seeding the idea of a zombie apocalypse. Then once you're finished at session 12 with your first story arc, the second story arc is, well, we're in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. You're in a lot of trouble. The other one is, is I'm running two games concurrently in the same campaign setting at the same time for my Dungeons and Dragons game. There was a, an event that occurred where a red dragon had been planning a ritual for a while to craft his own country. Like he carved, he made a plateau rise and created a whole new river from one in the north to like 600 miles to the south. He'd been working on this since the very beginning of the game. Like, I've had that seated in the background, so that finally came to be. Now the world's different. Now, I intended it as a plot point for my one game, but it's I have no idea how it affects the other campaign, because I didn't think about it. <laughs> so I can't wait to see what happens with the other group. So there, there you go. Like the, the, if you're ever running concurrent campaigns, what about, uh, what about you? Do you ever do anything like that? Can I talk about a time where something didn't work? Yeah, absolutely. I was, uh, shockingly enough, considering you have Jared and I talking, uh, I was running a supers campaign <laughs> and I was trying to emulate the TV show Heroes, where it was mostly the same world we all know and live in every day, but suddenly Heroes started appearing. And I set this up by saying that there was, now, now forgive me, this was done well before 2020, there was a pandemic kind of like the influenza outbreak of 1918, where it affected young and healthy people more than it affected the old and the weak. And those that recovered had the potential to develop superpowers. And that's how all of the main campaign characters developed their superpowers. They didn't cool understand all of the connections, but this is what they did. And as the campaign went on, they would learn a little more about what happened. and how people were developing powers and they met some people who had some particularly dangerous powers. As a result, my players started theorizing what this was going to mean for the future of their world. And it was pretty apocalyptic and everything they were saying was making sense because based on the epidemiology that I had set up in the campaign for who was infected and why, it meant there were going to be a lot of powerful people all across the world. And I kind of panicked <laughs> because I wasn't ready to run that campaign compared to the, it's the world as we know it and everyone just has powers. <laughs> and I wasn't experienced enough to understand how to redirect their ideas into something that made sense for what I wanted to run. Um, so it was a plot seed that turned into kudzu and took over my entire campaign <laughs> and destroyed the bones of the house I was building. <laughs> oh man, that sucks. But it's, it's <laughs> I bet I bet today you would just make it work. I bet you'd be fine. Yeah, I probably would have been able to better adapt. And honestly, to be completely fair, my players still talk about that campaign with love and affection. <laughs> Jared, do you ever have any event shaking things like that in your games? So, 
I was running the superhero. No, I'm gonna. I'm kidding. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna like, go with Star Wars. The, the Thaka with the Vantage folks are just talking about superhero games the entire time. It's fine. It's it's fine. <laughs> I'm gonna go with the Star Wars game this time. Um, we started an Age of Rebellion game where I wanted everyone to kind of be invested in fighting the Empire. I wanted them to personally like really hate the Empire. This is even before Andor, but I was kind of going for that same feel where people were seeing their planet getting really messed up and having, you know, be invested in fighting the Empire. But their planet, as it turned out, had, was rich in the mineral that they used to make thermal detonators. At first, they didn't necessarily pick up that the thermal detonators were, you know, oh, they're just, they just want to use this planet to make thermal detonators. But the face of the Empire that I had was an Arcanian geneticist who was trying to outdo all of the super weapons that were being built. And as a geneticist, her idea was she was going to clone Purgles, which are the hyperspace whales, and load them up with this material from thermal detonators and basically shoot hyperspace whales at different planets to blow them up. Now, none of you can all see this, but I am making a horrified expression <laughs> at Jared because that is horrifying. Yes. <laughs> That was an event that I was kind of seeing there. It's like, you know, they're not thinking, why did they need this whole planet? Why didn't they just, you know, you know, why did they have to really ruin this planet to mine all of this stuff? It's because they needed enough material to turn cloned purgles into bombs. <laughs> and there was a few other things in there, too, like where they were stealing or they were uh, constructing gigantic containers that, you know, like huge back to tanks that you would never have any use for except. If you were growing giant space whales. Well then. <laughs> so I got Ange. We, we, we want to move on out of here? Yeah, I think I think we've covered a lot about plot seeds and what you can do with them and how to use them or how to just, you know, let them go if they're not working. How to cultivate them if they are. So this show is funded by the Gnomes 2 Patreon. You too can be on a Patreon back by following the Patreon link on the Gnomes 2 website to the Gnomes 2 Patreon. This ad is brought to you by Stew pots are us. When your gnomes throw a party and lose your stew pot, you're going to need a new one to keep them in line. Stew pots are us has a vast selection of su suitable pots for keeping a wide range of minions in line. We also provide rush delivery for additional charge. That's usually like your hands or something like that. I'm really glad that you didn't have to worry about somebody partying. <sighs> you know, that we just had a natural disaster. It'd be terrible if somebody just partied and got rid of the uh, stupid. You know, Jerry, that's a very specific ad. It's almost like we recorded an episode and talked about something. <laughs> we should probably stop doing that and documenting our, our shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you're enjoying the Gnome Cash, you'll probably like many of the other misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. I mean, I, I love me some Thaco with advantage. I mean, if you want to mix the, the second edition, first edition D&D, well, second edition D&D with your modern D&D. But Ange and Jared love talking about role-playing games and Dungeons and Dragons. Can I say that? I think I can say that. Anyways, together they share <laughs> insights into the games they're running in the campaign journal and then tackle a variety of topics that affect the game in the DM's workshop. I mean, they're going to talk anyway, so they might as well record it. Maybe they'll even pick up an ancient D&D factoid about a previous edition of the game that some unknown radio announcer likes to give every week. And something that you'll probably never use. But then again, Warduke made an appearance on the last short or beginning anyway, so that was worth it. Go listen to it. <laughs> you can find all of us at gnomestew.com. Gnomestew on a place that's probably dying and we'll find another place to live anyway. Uh, and Gnomestew on Facebook. Gnomes, is there anything else you want to give a shout out to today? I'll just say go to my 
my uh, blog at whatdoiknowjr.com because who knows what social media is going to look like by the time this uh, this episode gets published. Look, I, I would love to talk about something else on the internet, but I have been busy looking at ordering stew pots for like the past like three <laughs> weeks. So, you know. <laughs> and don't throw me in the stew pot. I gotta go. Bye. Bye. Bye, Chris. I'll see you later. Um, I just wanted to say, uh, while Gen Con is happening as this episode drops, I wanted to let all of you know that some of us gnomes, us three gnomes specifically, are going to be at Gamehole Con in October. It's a great mid-sized con in Madison, Wisconsin, and it's definitely worth checking out. We will have a link to their page uh, in our show notes. So, Jared, should I throw you in the stew pot since you're the last one left? No, no. See, okay. So first off, look, I got the stew pot back. It was hauled away by the company that we got to clean up after the natural disaster happened. But I managed to get it back safe and sound. And on top of that, I even had them weld shut that, that trap door that Phil keeps using. Oh, I could use that.